Go ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with. Uh, You know the drill, everybody. You can pull up the church app if you want to fill in the blank version of the notes. I'm excited to preach this morning. We're finishing up our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, And so I'm going to bring you a standalone message this morning. And what that means, if you're kind of new to our culture, what we love to do is study the Bible uh, in series. And so maybe rallied around a topic or a book of the Bible that we're stepping through, or maybe a particular thing the series is kind of rallied around. We do that throughout the year, but the Sundays in between. So we finished our Finding Center series last Sunday, uh, and then we're picking up a brand new one next Sunday. But on the in-between Sundays this year, I want to do something a little bit different. And that is I want to take each of those Sundays and I want to answer a question that you asked. And so this is the first of them. We'll do some more throughout the year. But this is a question that you asked. If you remember last year, we put out some surveys uh, around Easter time and then in the summer. And we asked you one of those questions was, I would like to know what the Bible has to say about blank, whatever it was. And you got to write some things in there. Now, some of you took it as a, I would like to critique the church in seven different ways. And so those got categorized somewhere else. But the people who actually asked questions, we took those and we designed our series around them. So we talked about emotions. We talked about evangelism. We talked uh, about relationships. We designed our series around those questions. But some of the questions were maybe a little bit more um, descriptive. And so some of them maybe were a little bit more uh, detailed in how they came in. And so uh, they came in not only during the survey, but they also came in uh, during the 21 days of prayer that we just finished up here in January. And so you would write in some things and some of those. And so I thought we would just take the Sundays that we have between the series this year and talk those over. And so today is part one of this year long series that we're going to call you asked for it. And so I hope that makes sense. If it's not, I tried, everybody. All right, I did my best. So I thought we'd kick off today with an Old Testament story that maybe you have not encountered in a while. I was looking back through my notes. I think I preached out of this maybe once uh, in my life. And so this is a story maybe you haven't studied or seen or maybe you've forgotten about. Because so many surveys, and especially prayer requests this year, you wanted to know, how do I figure out what God wants me to do in this scenario? And some of you kept it really vague and some of you kept it really detailed. It was just depending on the question that came in. Some of you listed like here's A, B and C that I'm deciding between. And so the way I kind of boiled down the question is how do I know if the decision I'm making is from God or not? How do I know if that's if I, how can I discern if this decision that I need to make is from God or not? If this opportunity is of the Lord or not? Now, listen to me. Here's my disclaimer. This is not how do I hear the voice of God? All right. I am a firm believer that if you want a word of God, you should go to the word of God. There we go, everybody. It's just a good little thing. It's not a trick question. All right. If you want a word from the Lord, we should seek his word. And we're going to do that this morning. But more specifically, this question today is, I want to answer is, how do we discern opportunities that are already placed before us? And so you're already deciding it has to be A or it has to be B, and you have to pick one, or you're trying to discern, did this opportunity that I see that looks good to me, is the Lord actually in it? Because the truth is, we live in a very talented community, very blessed culture. And so in your life, you're going to have a lot of opportunities Your life will probably be full more than maybe a lot of other cultures or time periods. Your life will be full of opportunities. But the reality, biblically, is not every opportunity is from God. Not every choice or every chance we have at something is from the Lord. So Numbers chapter 22 today, because there's a story in Scripture of a guy named Balaam who actually messed this up. A guy who actually screwed this whole thing over. So let me just set the stage for you. The nation of Israel are on their way to the promised land. 
And so they're out of Egypt. They're on their way. They're headed to the promised land. And they're excited about going there. But obviously they have multiplied along the way. There's a whole lot of them. A lot of people coming through. And they're going through a land, a country called Moab. And so the Moabites are looking at the children of Israel, kind of spying them out and getting a little bit nervous because they're thinking there's a whole lot of them moving through our land. And there's so many that they might take us over, conquer us and take our country. And so they're getting a little bit nervous about the children of Israel. So Balak, the king of Moab, so it's going to get a little confusing. King Balak sends messengers to Balaam, the prophet. All right. So you got to keep these names in your head. King Balak sends his messengers and princes with a whole bunch of money. To Balak, to Balaam, the prophet. And he asks him, won't you come and curse these people for me? Because he knows he's a prophet of God. Balaam's actually a prophet of the Lord. He doesn't know, though, who the children of Israel are. He's not aware of them at this time. And so he sends these messengers, King Balak, and he says, won't you come and curse them so that we can conquer them? Because I know you're a pretty good prophet and God seems to like you. And so if you would just come on down to the palace and curse these people, that'd be really great. And so King Balak sends to Balaam. And so Balaam is like, look, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know who these people are, but I don't do curses without praying to God first. And so if you just hang on for a second. And so all the princes are at his house. They've got all the money. They put this offer before him. And he says, I need to go to the Lord in prayer. And so the officials are there in his house. They've got this lucrative offer. Balaam, you're going to get rich and come and curse these people. And Balaam goes and prays to see if this is an opportunity. Balaam prays a prayer. To see if this is a chance for him to get rich. Come on, somebody. How many of you have? We have never. Nobody will admit it. But we have all prayed prayers like that. Oh, Lord, are you in this? Oh, Lord, this sounds really, really good. And so Balaam prays this prayer. And that's where we pick the story up. Numbers chapter 22, verse 12. God comes to Balaam in this time of prayer. And he responds and he says, do not go with them, Balaam. You must not put a curse on these people because they are Blessed. God says, you don't need to be cursing the children of Israel. This, I, don't, I know you don't know them, Balaam, but these are actually my people. These are the people that I have called after my name. These are my chosen. You're not going to be cursing these folks. And so Balaam comes out the next morning, kind of like a kid who's not allowed to go out and play. All right? He comes out and he's like, mom says I got to eat and I can't come play. And he's all mopey, like I can't come with you because I just, I just can't do it. Can't get rich. Want to get rich, but can't get rich. So you just have to go home. Really wish I could, but I can't come. And so these guys go back to Moab, these princes and these emissaries, they go back to Moab and they're like, Balaam's out. We can't get him. He's just, he's not coming. It's just not happening. Balak, the king is like, that's not an option. Like we got to get this guy. He is the best. He is the one we need. He's the best at the curses. He can do all of it. We got to get Balaam in our corner. And so the Bible says that the king then gets more princes, more uh, important people together than the first, more money. And he sends them back to Balaam's house. And so now we're in phase number two of this. They come back to Balaam. And so they show up and Balaam, instead of saying, there's no way I can go with you. God already said, no, don't even come in my house. I already prayed. God already told me no. Instead of saying God doesn't change his mind. He says, well, now that you bring more people, more important people and more money, then maybe I'll just go pray again. And it's interesting. He actually, the words he actually says is, let me go and see what more the Lord will say. Now, if we are honest with each other this morning, none of us will admit it, but we have all prayed prayers like that. Let me go see what more the Lord would say. God has already answered. God has already told Balaam, this is not an opportunity that I am in. And yet Balaam, we ask, it begs the question, why would Balaam pray again? 
And you can probably answer this, but scripture does actually. I want to show it to you in a New Testament verse out of Second Peter. It talks about this moment. Why would Balaam pray again? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 15. It says, those who struggle with greed... Those who are struggling with greed and love of money says they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness, who loved what wickedness would pay. And so Balaam has a problem with money, as we'll see uh, from other portions of Scripture. Balaam's got this greed in his heart. So the reason he goes back to pray is he sees he knows God said no. He knows the answer is no. And he still goes back because he wants his way. He wants to be blessed. He doesn't want God's path for his life. He doesn't care about God's chosen people. He just knows this is an opportunity. More officials, more fame, more money, more bribes. This is my shot. And so Balaam goes back to pray when he's willing to push against what God has said in order to get rich. And so he goes back to prayer. Verse 20, chapter 22. God comes to him as he's praying about this. And the Lord says something that almost sounds a little bit confusing on the face of it. And honestly, I think it's a warning to us, but let's read this. The Lord comes to him the second time. God said, since these have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So he's already told Balaam, these are my people, Balaam. You're supposed to bless. I'm supposed to bless these people. You can't curse them. And so then God tells him, go. But we'll see in just a moment that God is not pleased with Balaam's motives. Because Balaam takes this, this thing, this idea that he's going to go, and Balaam goes with his original. He's going to go and curse these people to get his payday. He's suddenly happy. God is, and it seems a little confusing, and there's a principle here. You'll see in just a moment that God is not happy with Balaam's motives. And part of this, I think, is a principle that should warn you and I, and that is because God loves us, because God wants sons and daughters of the kingdom and not robots, God has given us this thing that he calls free will. And he's given us this idea that we can actually choose. And so God will come and say, this is what is best for your life. God will lay out, this is what I have for you. And this is the blessing I have for your life. But then he doesn't force us to do it. We still have that choice to go. And so there will be times where we choose something against God's will that he'll step back and let us do it. And that's what part of what Balaam is doing here. But the second part of that is Balaam still has his original motive Of why he's on this thing. He says Balaam loves the wages of wickedness. And so he says he takes this agreement from God. And he says yeah I'm going to go curse these people. Even though God has told him this is not an opportunity I'm in Balaam. This is not a chance for you to get rich cursing my people. Because I'm going to bless the socks off of them. But Balaam still goes. And so watch this. God says fine go ahead and go. You're not going to you can pursue it. But what you're looking for is not at the end of the road here. So Balaam goes anywhere. Verse 21. The next morning, Balaam got up, he saddles his donkey, and he starts off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. God's already told him, this is not an opportunity that I'm in. Balaam, this is not. And so he's upset. And so he sends the angel of the Lord in the road to block his way. And so as Balaam and his two servants were riding along, all the princes of the Moabites around them, Balaam's got his two entourage servants with him. Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. Listen to me, everybody. This is this is this story. So I want you this morning to throw out. We talked about this last week. Throw out the flannel graph story you memorized when you were in Sunday school. Throw out your ideas of this. Just actually picture this. Because Balaam's riding down the road. He's on the donkey. He's got his servants. He's got his entourage. Balaam's donkey saw the angel. Nobody else sees it. He sees it. Drawn with sword in his hand. Next verse. The donkey bolted off the road into the field. But Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. 
Now listen to me, everybody. Again, put yourself... Because I think sometimes we disconnect from these stories, Old Testament especially. I think we read the heading and we just go on to the next chapter if we've read through it. Or we just like, I think I know the gist of it. I just kind of remember. I want you to just put yourself at the scene. Like you are actually seeing this. I don't care which character you pick, right? Because like, think you are a Moabite official. And this guy who is supposed to save your country. Like he's supposed to be the savior of your people. Like this great, holy, spiritual man. And now he can't even like ride the donkey. Like the donkey's going off in the field. And now he's losing his mind. He's beating the donkey. He's screaming. And you're just like, let's just go. Come on. Can we just. Or you are Balaam. And this is your moment. You have your entourage. The princes have finally acknowledged how great you are. This is your moment to get the payday. And now your donkey won't even like go straight. Like you just can't. You can't even get there. Every problem, flat tire, everything you can imagine. Now Balaam is losing his mind. Beating them. This is a funny story. I don't know if, if you don't see humor in scripture, I can't help you. All right. So verse 24. So the angel of the Lord. So this is the first. Balaam's like beats the donkey, gets him back on the road. So the angel of the Lord a second time stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze. So it knows it's going to get beat again. So it's like, OK, let me figure this thing out. This is a smart donkey. It tries to squeeze by. And crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. And so Balaam beats the donkey again. It's not funny for the donkey, everybody. He's just trying. He sees an angel. He's got his It's not a great story for him. So you could be everybody but the donkey. All right. But so Balaam beats the donkey again. So Balaam, can you imagine? This is supposed to be the savior of your country. Like, is he drunk? Like, what is the, like, I can't figure out. Whatever. So verse 26. Verse 26, it says, now the angel of the Lord a third time moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. To which the donkey says, I'm out. All right? The donkey's like, that's just it. I just, I'm done. He sees the angel of the Lord, watch it this time, this time when he saw it, he's like, I've tried. I've done all I can do. Lays down under Balaam. And so in a fit of rage. Balaam beat the animal again with his staff three times. Balaam is losing his mind, everybody. All right. This is you can you can infer that from this moment. He he is in a fit of rage. Balaam has lost his mind. He's at the end of his rope. And I don't know if you heard it or not, but a man and a woman got married one time. And after the wedding, the day after, they decided to head back home. And so they got into the wagon the man has owned all his life, being pulled by the mule that the man has owned all his life. And they start off for home. Well, the man is very proud of his mule, very proud of his wagon, very proud of his new bride. And so they're riding along. But about a third of the way, the mule, upset that he now has to carry two people instead of one, which is reasonable, decides, I'm not going any further. So he sits down in the middle of the road. Well, the man is now embarrassed of his mule. And so he starts to call out to him and use his little stick to maybe whip the backside of the mule. But his wife quiets him and she gets out of the wagon Walks around to the front and to the man's astonishment, she looks that mule right in the eyes and she says, that's once. She gets back into the wagon and pats her dress down. And the man, to his great shock, the mule gets up and starts to walk. Now the man is very proud of his new wife. He's amazed at this new skill that he had no idea about. And so they continue along their way. Well, about halfway to the house, the mule decides again, no, I think this is too much. Sits down in the road one more time. Well, the man doesn't do anything. He just looks at his wife. And she gets back out of the wagon, walks around, looks that mule in the eye, and she says, that's twice. 
gets back into the wagon, pats her dress, and to the man's great amazement, the mule gets up and continues to go. And the man is thinking, this is amazing. I have more animals at home, more stubborn. This, this is the most amazing wife I have. This is incredible. Well, about a mile from the house, the mule decides, no, that's it. I'm, I'm out of this thing. I can't do this. And so he lays down in the middle of the road. Well, the man just smiles and looks at his wife, and she gets out, walks in front of the wagon. But to the man's great shock, she pulls out a revolver and shoots the mule. Gets back into the wagon, pats her dress down, just sits next to him. And now the man has suddenly blown his brain. He suddenly realizes what has just happened. And so he loses his mind. He begins to shout, woman, you can't do this. You can't treat my animals and you think you're going to do. And we have to walk all the way home. Who do you think you are doing this to my aunt, treating them? that You can't do this. And he did. And she just lets him shout. And when he finishes, she pats her dress and she looks her husband right in the eyes and she says, that's once. <laughs> that's funny. I don't care who you are. All right, everybody. <laughs> so three times Balaam has lost his mind. Three times this donkey has made him go into a fit of rage. And I just imagine my whole donkey's like, yeah, yeah. And Balaam's just in shouting and screaming. And these Moabite officials are like texting Balak like, this dude is nuts. We're going to leave him in the field. Like, you want somebody different. This guy's lost his mind. All of this. And just when you think, just when you think the story can't get any worse. And if you've never heard it before, I have great pleasure in telling you this story this morning. Verse 28. Just when you think it can't get any worse for poor Balaam. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. <laughs> this is where you think about all the rage, all the things that have happened to him to this point, And suddenly the Lord gives a donkey the ability to speak. You think DreamWorks came up with that with Shrek, right? No, this is this. They stole it from the Bible. This is the first occurrence. What have I done to you that deserves... The donkey's actually very well spoken. He says, what have I done to you that deserves your beating me these three times? He says to Balaam. To which Balaam should have said, sweet Moses, the donkey's talking. I've lost my mind. But he doesn't. I don't know. Balaam's just like, he's so blind at this point. He's like, because you have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would... Now pause for a minute. Because again, in my holy imagination, like... The donkey's the only one who sees the angel. I don't think it's too great of a stretch to think if Balaam's the only one who hears the donkey. But this is just my whole imagination. You could take it as far as it will take you. But I just imagine like Balaam's in the field beating the donkey now. The donkey's just like, yee to all the rest of the people. And Balaam is now having a conversation with the donkey. But whether they can hear him or not, the donkey is speaking to Balaam. And the donkey's like, have I, do I deserve this? Like, have I, you know what I mean? It's just insane. Look, donkey, he says, you've made me look like a fool. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. And the donkey's like, but I'm the same donkey you've ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? <laughs> yeah, again, I don't know if we really read these stories or not. Because then Balaam like steps back. No, but like Balaam's like reasoning with the donkey now. He's like, no, now that you mention it, this is a little bit odd. That you, you haven't done things. Yeah, you haven't been like this. Like, I'm just thinking, like, forget the Moabite. Balaam's just like, you know, now that you say something, donkey, this is a weird moment. This is a little bit odd. So jot it down if you're taking notes. First major point today. If your donkey is talking, you have a problem. Come on, somebody. <laughs> We're going to be really spiritual this morning at church. All right. It's going to be great. You got some issues in our life. And unfortunately for a whole lot of us, unfortunately for, I would just say, the majority of us. We got some donkeys talking in our life. 
And we are so blind in our rage or in our time because it's so easy for us in our walk to see something that we think we deserve. To see something that we want, an opportunity, a relationship, a job, whatever it is, to see something that we deserve. And we think, you know what? I can reason away all of these different things around, all these things that I know are wrong with it, all of these things that I know are against me in it. I can reason those away and I'm going to pursue it and get it. And we get ourselves so off track pursuing things because we think I deserve it. I want it. I deserve it. And we get into these insane scenarios like Balaam. And maybe it's not a physical talking donkey in your life, but God will send things along your path. If you're at a place where your donkey is talking, first of all, jot it down if you're taking notes, you might already be ignoring the subtle signs. If you get to a place where the donkey has to talk, you may have blown through a hundred different stop signs on your way to that moment. You might be ignoring this. So there are a lot of subtle signs. You read it. We've read most of the story in Numbers 22. There are a lot of subtle signs along the way that Balaam should not be on a donkey heading to Moab. Like the fact that God already said, don't go Balaam. Like, I'm not in this, Balaam. This is not an opportunity for you to get rich, Balaam. I'm going to bless these people, Balaam. And a lot of subtle signs along the way. And then as begins his journey, there are things along the way that should have wicked. The donkey had to remind him. Have I ever acted like this? Has this ever happened before? Have I ever done Like subtle signs along the way. There are subtle signs God will send us long before the donkey ever talks. That maybe we are a little off track. That maybe we have wandered a little far from the things God has. In fact, Colossians 3 talks about that the peace of God should guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit should bring us guidance in God's word and the things that we should do. There should be a peace that the Holy Spirit brings in the midst of that. There are signs and things God will send us, but we want to push against it. And every time you have ever pushed against that, I promise you destruction is right on the other side of that decision. Because Balaam's like, hey, look, I, I prayed and I sought God, but I know he said no. But this, And so all of us will say, well, I prayed and I've sought God's word and I still don't have a peace about it. But I know that this is something that I want. And God wants me to be blessed and God wants me to be happy. And so I should just pursue this thing regardless of what he has said. It's quiet in this church this morning. It's going to be great. It's okay for myself. I say. It's okay for me, even though I ignore the subtle signs. Second thing you might be doing, kind of like Balaam, you might be hurting trusted relationships. Just some signs that maybe we've gotten a little bit off track. We might be hurting the people in our lives that are trying to help us. It's interesting to me. The only character in the story who is trying to save Balaam's life is the donkey. And the donkey is the only one Balaam is abusing. Like, there are a lot of people at fault in this story. There's the Moabite officials who come to bribe him and try to get him to go. There's Balaam himself who knows that God has told him no, but he's pushing ahead regardless. There's his team, his two guys he brought with him that should have said, hey, Balaam, this is not a good idea. God's not in this. The donkey's the only one trying to figure out how to save Balaam's life and his own. And he's the one that's taking the abuse. And can I just say for those of you who are in a place where you might be trying to bring truth into somebody's life, who might be a little bit blinded to the decisions that they've made or the track of life that they're on. Don't be surprised when they start taking shots at you. Like, I just, just to give you a little bit, this is not the message today, this one's just free, all right? If you try to bring truth into someone's life, usually the person bringing truth is the person they will hate the most. 
When someone has gotten off track or somebody has made the wrong decisions and they feel like they're a little bit too far gone, they've done these things, the person who brings truth to their life usually is the one that they hate the most. And so this is what comes out. Balaam is beating the tar out of the only decent relationship in the entire story. Conversely, I think maybe we need to take stock of our own situation. And listen to me, if every person in your life, if your spouse and your friends and your teachers and your pastors and your coaches, if everybody has suddenly turned against you, if everybody suddenly seems so unreasonable and everybody's just being so mean to you and they just don't understand, maybe we've gotten a little off track. Maybe we've pushed it. Those trusted relationships have now all suddenly don't look anything like that. Everybody's just treating you. How could they possibly treat you like that? How could they possibly? Maybe we've gotten a little bit off track. When someone is deceived, part of the reality of being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. You understand everybody? By the way, this is why small groups are so important because everybody has blind spots. I don't care who you are. I don't care how goody goody two shoes you are. Everybody has blind spots. Having somebody around you to say, hey, this or hey, that. Have you ever gotten to the end of the day and realized that all day long you had something in your teeth? Anybody ever been there? Or all day long you had whatever it is. The, the old cliche is toilet paper on your shoe. I had it one time. I had a, this going to gross everybody out this morning. I don't know why we'd be so truthful with each other. I had an ear hair, everybody. That had grown off the side of my ear. Very visible. I went a week not knowing that that thing was there. And nobody told me. Come on. So I blame all of you instead of myself. That's what I blame. Some of you are like tucking in right now. You guys are doing like that. I told my wife and she's like, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Come on, somebody. That's good and bad. That's what that happens to take. Everybody's got blind spots. And more seriously than anything like that, more seriously in our life, we will have spots where we get off track and you need somebody that's able to say truth into your life of, hey, that job or that opportunity, that relationship, that is only going to end in pain. Or that thing that you're walking down, there's only trouble there. And God will send people in your life that can speak the truth of God into your walk. We got to have those things in our lives. We got to be able to do that. So maybe just a sign we're off track. We've missed subtle signs. We're abusing trusted relationships. So number three, it might be, might be possible that we become obsessed with what other people think. We become obsessed. That's what happens to Balaam, right? All he could focus on were these Moabite officials. He says to the donkey, you have made me look like a fool to all of these people. I may be against God's word. I may be pushing back against everything there. But I care. You made me look like a fool in front of these officials. Him obsessed. You know, sin will make you obsessed with what other people think. Sin will cause you to be obsessed. Too often times we see our destiny as being affected by people who have no impact on our future. And we will lose our lives trying to make sure what they think about us. Trying to make sure that they see the right. We will think they, my spouse and my kids have to look just right. Or my life, that what they see from the outside has to look. And what I post on social media has to be exactly this. Because we care so much about what they think. People who don't have any impact on our destiny anyway. That's what happens to Balaam. Those Moabite officials had no power to bless Balaam. God already said, I'm not in this, Balaam. God already said, this is not... From me, Balaam, this is not an opportunity you should pursue. And yet Balaam is still so worried about sin makes us obsessed with appearance. When we have sin in our lives, you remember the Pharisees. This is particularly for Christians, by the way, those who follow Christ. With sin in our life, it makes us so obsessed with the appearance because we want to keep up the facade. You remember the Pharisees, Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. You try to just paint the outside. You don't care. There are bones within. 
He said, you're like a dirty cup. You try to clean the outside of the cup. You don't care. There is death inside. We care about appearances when there is sin in our life. Where we think, okay, I just need people to think. When there is no blessing in that. There is no, there's nothing. Balaam, he tells him, Balaam, I'm not in the opportunity. Uh, and so Balaam's in a pretty bad place. He's risking his life. He doesn't know it yet. But he's risking his very life going down this path. And because of the donkey, he's actually even survived these three times. And so many of us realize we're in that condition. And maybe today you are realizing it. Maybe it's, it's coming to the forefront. Maybe you see one of these things. So then what do we do? How do we remedy the situation? I think there's a couple of things we can pull out of the story. We jump back to our text. Verse 31. Watch this. It says, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. So remember, to this point, only the donkey's been able to see the angel. Open, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. And so now Balaam bowed his head, fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey these three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. I like the, the contrast there. There's a donkey and there's Balaam, but the stubborn one is Balaam. Come on, somebody. So he says, you are, you are pursuing the wrong thing. You're after the wrong. God already told you I'm not in this. You're still on your way. Why are you beating the donkey, Balaam? You're the one at fault. You're the one who's come out here and done this thing. Three times I've tried to wake you up. Three times, he says. Three different times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, watch this. I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. I like that, everybody. That's just one of my favorite parts of this story. He said, I would have killed you, Balaam. That donkey was saving your life because I would have spared the donkey. But Balaam, I would have killed you. There's a condition here that is crazy in your life, Balaam. It's crazy in your life because you're not seeing the reality of what is going on. So if you're going to correct some decisions today, if you and I are going to make this, we're going to remedy the situation. First thing we have to do is we have to see it. If you say, I, I want to, I'm done. The first thing I have to do is I have to see it. It says the Lord opens Balaam's eyes and all of a sudden he sees the reality. If you're in a place of deception today, reality is you can't see. You're not able to see the thing. You might have people in your life saying, hey, that relationship's trouble. Hey, that job opportunity, I know it looks great, but that's just trouble in your life. The thing you're trying to pursue, that thing is trouble. And we may have stepped back in that moment and been like, man, you're just jealous. You just don't, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the decision that I'm making because I have spiritualized every part of this. And you're just jealous of me because I know I have spiritualized. God wants me to be happy and God wants me to be rich and God wants this thing. And so I'm going to pursue and we say these things to ourselves. And we go so far off track. And the truth is, if we're going to change, we have to have a moment where we see it. Balaam had to have a revelation. That's the biblical word for it. Had to have a revelation where he began to see what was really going on. And you and I will have to have that as well if we ever want to change. And by the way, this is at the heart of the gospel. Because every single person who has ever decided, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, has had a moment where we realize how deep our sin is. Where we realize how far gone we are. Where we realize how unable we are to save ourselves. That we say, yeah, I I have sinned. Yeah, it is too great for me. This is what I... We come aware of our sin. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 8, talking about being a slave of sin or a son of daughter of the kingdom of God. He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That we would know the truth. And so we have to have a moment where we realize pushing against God's way, it only means death for us. Not realizing our sin only means death for us. Not realizing we're off track. Not seeing the reality of our situation. The same is true for Balaam in this moment. Once we see it, 
we have that revelation. Watch this. It says, Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. Once we have this revelation, then there has to be confession. Once we see it, then we have to say it. Once we see it, then we have to say it. We have to have a confession that Balaam had. We say, you know what? I've missed the mark. You know what? I've, I've come short of what it is. And so the Bible talks about this. Once we have that revelation of our sin, then 1 John 1, 9 says, but then if we confess our sins... He's faithful and to just and to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Listen to me. First we say it, but then we, first we see it, but then we have to say it. We have to confess the sins that are in our lives. And any follower of Christ had to come to that moment. Revelation, but it always leads to confession. That we say, yeah, I have missed the mark. That's what sin is. It's missing the mark. And so Balaam confesses his sin. And listen to me. Confession is not maybe what you think it is. Confession is not informing God of the sin that we have committed. All right, everybody? I think that gets a bad rap sometimes. Confession is not just informing, letting him know that it happened. Because listen to me. We don't go before God and say, Lord, I don't know if you know this, but I have been doing some things. And Lord, I don't know if you realize this, but in my heart of hearts, I have kept a secret. I have been doing these things, oh God. God is never like, are you serious? I had no idea. I had no clue that you were off doing those. This is a big, oh, this is going to be a big problem for us. We have to figure this thing out. We're going to have to, no, God is never, we're not informing God of the things that we have done. In fact, the Greek word for confession, there, it means to say the same or to be in agreement with. No, confession is not informing God of our sins. Confession is saying, yes, I agree that I have sinned. Here is what I have done that is not measured up to the mark. You are right and I am wrong. I have sinned. Confession is bringing that before God and saying, yes, I have done this. This is something being and then brought in alignment with God's will for our life. So when we confess, when we say, I have missed the mark, sin is missing the mark. And the Bible says all of us have fallen short of God's standards. All of us have reason to confess. And so Balaam had to come to a place. He had the revelation, man, I see it. I'm off. I realize all these, I'm on the wrong path. I'm doing what God has told me not to do. And then in verse 34, after he's seen it, he said it. He's confessed, and then he continues, watch, he has a chance to seal this thing. He says, I didn't realize you were standing in the world to block my way. I will return home. He says something incredible at this moment, by the way. This one just blows my socks off. Balaam's been pretty much an idiot the whole story, but watch this. He says, the world to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. To which the Lord should have replied, if. If I'm against you, I almost killed you three times. I've got donkeys talking in the field. I told you not. If I'm against you, are going if. But he doesn't because the Lord's a lot more gracious than we are, everybody. All right. He, he doesn't say. <laughs> in fact, when Balaam's at the place where he's finally open to God's instruction, watch what God does. When Balaam finally confesses his sin, God takes over in the situation and he uses it. Not for Balaam's gain. Forget about that. But God uses the situation for what he's already planned to do. And that's to bless the children of Israel. Because Balaam is told to continue now, because God's not going to let him curse them. Balaam's going to bless them. It's about to be worse than Balaam than if he had ever stayed at home. Come on, somebody. But he has an opportunity now. God is going to turn the situation around. Because once we see it, and once we say it, then we've got to settle it. We've got to settle this thing. So Balaam goes to meet Balak up on the hill overlooking the children of Israel. But now he has changed completely what he is about to say. And honestly, this is just an Old Testament shadow of what repentance looks like. Because once we see it, we understand our sin is so great. Once we have said it, we've confessed, then repentance means to turn completely from the direction that we're heading. 
So Balaam has a chance now to say something complete. He's not going to curse them. He's going to bless them, to turn completely from that. And honestly, this is where we diverge from Balaam's story. Because he has this chance, and he does. The story ends with him blessing them, Balak getting mad at him, sending him home. But then we learn from other portions of Scripture that sometime later, a few weeks, a few months, whenever it is, Balaam decides that he loves money just a little bit too much. Just, uh, it just has a little bit too much of a hold on him. And the Bible says that Balaam then helps the Moabites lead Israel into sin. Helps them to trick them. Because he thinks he's found a loophole or whatever. And the last we hear of Balaam, his name becomes assimilated with a curse instead of a prophet of God. Because listen to me, church, once we see it and then we say it, we need to settle it. We need to settle it. John the Baptist actually said this in Matthew chapter 3 as we close. He said, prove by the way that you live. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That that would be the outward fruit of what God has already done on the inside. That it would show that we need to sit because repentance is turning around. It's doing a 180. It's completely turning around and changing direction and saying, I'm not going to go my way anymore. Now I'm going God's way. Listen, church, if we had a place where we're pushing against the trust of relationships, where we're ignoring any kind of sign God would put in our way. We are obsessed with what people think about us. Maybe, just maybe, and I'm just suggesting to you, it might be time to start listening to the donkeys in our lives. Because if your donkey is talking, you should probably listen. Bow your heads with me as we pray today. Father, I just ask you, Lord, we cry out for wisdom and we cry out for direction, Lord, as we seek your word for the truth you would bring to us. I cry right now, Lord. Give us discernment. Lord, give us discernment. Give the Holy Spirit to help us, to remind us of your word, to give us discernment in every opportunity. We pray it, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. And church, just keep praying. As you are praying, I know it's difficult. In a culture that has so many opportunities, I know it's difficult to have so many things placed before to help to discern and to see, God, what is your will for my next step and what is your will for the choice to make? I do want to pray for that. I want to pray for that discernment. But before any of that, there may be some of you here today and maybe for the first time you are seeing it. You're at that first part where you are beginning to realize how deep in your sins you are. And God may be drawing your heart in this moment and you have no idea why you came to church today or why you're watching online. You just just decided to maybe click on the video, whatever it is, but God is drawing your heart. And for the first time, maybe you are seeing your sin. Listen to me. This is not an opportunity or a chance to run from God. This is a chance right now in your life to run to him. And so if that's you, if you say, I'm, I'm seeing it, it starts with a revelation. God reveals we have to see how far and stuck in our sins we are. But then the next step is to say it. To confess our sins. To say, Lord, not that we're letting him know. God already knows. But we are confessing. We are saying, you are right and I am wrong. I have sinned. You have a moment right now to do that. And then I would encourage you, if you are in that place, you say, I feel a million miles away from God. I don't have a relationship with him. Right now, today, before we leave, we have a chance to settle it. We have a chance to settle it once and for all, to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to turn from my sin. I'm going to repent. I see it. I'm confessing it. And now I'm going to repent of it. You have a chance. Don't leave today without settling it without having this opportunity. And so right now, we want to pray with you. You say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. 
It's as simple as that. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not looking to embarrass you. This is a moment where you can say, yeah, I'm repenting of my sin and I'm going to follow him. Right now you can settle it. In our church, we've decided we're going to pray this. I pray with every single person who wants to pray this prayer because the harvest is plentiful. And so we've decided we will pray this prayer. We, We will help you today to settle it, but you have to see it. You say it with your own mouth, believe it with your own heart. We're going to follow Jesus together. Are you ready today? If you want to pray that prayer right now, church, pray it with me, with every person, whether you're online or you're in the room, say these words, say, Jesus, save me, forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I repent. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose again and I make you the Lord of my life. Now let's pray together, church, before we go. Father, I pray for our church. God, I pray as opportunities come our way, Lord, as things begin to rise up, God, as as different signs, different things you send us, Lord, let us be aware. As we read your word, open our eyes to the things that you are telling us. God, I pray we would be sensitive in every day of our lives to the Holy Spirit, to the leadings and the promptings. God, I pray, Lord, let us never get to the place where it takes a donkey talking. Let us see the signs you are sending us. Let us follow so closely to you, God. Let us see the example with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let us pattern our life after his. Lord, I thank you as we go. Lord, I thank you for blessings in our life that you do bring opportunities. But give us discernment. Give us wisdom to always follow after you. Give us opportunities again to reach other people to see the kingdom of God built, not our own payday, not our own ego, not our own pride, but always so into your kingdom. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on church, can we give God praise for what he said today?